Every good story has a beginning, middle, and ending. Our lives have a beginning, a middle, and an ending. But some Christians don't want to think about the ending. They forget David's words in Psalm 39. I'm just a foreigner, an immigrant, staying with me, just like all my ancestors were. I pass away, and I'm gone. Elton Trueblood, a Christian philosopher, believes Christians lost something very important when we decided to separate the church from the cemetery. He believes that when we connect birth, life, and death, those great mysteries that the church celebrates, it creates within us a sense of destination. But when we lose that connection, we lose a sense of the story that is our lives. And that can make it easy for us to forget that we're part of a family, an eternal family, that includes those who have outrun us to heaven and all those who will come after us. In the letter to Hebrews, we're reminded that we run. That we run toward a goal and we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. So to put it plainly, you could say that we have this great heavenly crowd cheering us on to victory. So you can picture Moses and Peter that grandmother you love so much. Cheering you on. Cheering us on to victory. And as you look through that crowd, there's one face that stands out. The face of Jesus. And we're called to fix our eyes on Jesus. Now, this isn't just a future of faith. Because faith is active, and it's alive, and it's here, and it's now. And what I mean is that some amazing, some amazing things start to happen inside of us when we set our eyes on Jesus. When we set our eyes on Jesus, we see the compassion He feels for all of our suffering and the trials and the conflicts that we face. And we know that we can approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we can receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And more than that, we learn that Jesus has gone before us, breaking through barriers and preparing our way. And so as He prepared our way, Let's read the prayer that he prayed when he was in turmoil in the garden. This is from the Gospel of John, chapter 17. 
We'll read the first five verses. This is the Common English Bible. When Jesus finished saying these things, He looked up to heaven and said, Father, the time has come. Glorify Your Son so that the Son can glorify You. You gave Him authority over everyone so that He could give eternal life to everyone You gave Him. This is eternal life, to know You, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom You sent. I have glorified You on earth by finishing the work You gave Me to do. Now, Father, glorify Me in Your presence with the glory I shared with You before the world was created. In these verses, Jesus prays for Himself. In verse 1, when Jesus prays the time, when He says the time, He's talking about His death. Jesus is glorified in His death. And God is glorified because it completes Jesus' life-giving, soul-saving mission. In verses 2 and 3, we see that eternal life starts now. Did you hear that? Eternal life starts now for those who know God through Jesus. And about verse 2, Wesley wrote, This is clear proof that Christ designed His sacrifice should avail for all. Yea. That all flesh, every man, should partake of everlasting life. For as the Father had given him power over all flesh, so he gave himself a ransom for all. Okay, so Wesley was an Oxford professor. What's he really saying right here? He's saying that as a people called Methodist, we believe that Jesus died. For all people. All people. In the second century, Irenaeus, I think that's how you say his name, he was a bishop. He wrote, The glory of God is humanity fully alive. The glory of God is humanity fully alive. What he means is that Jesus came. Jesus came as the Redeemer and resurrected King of a new humanity that's made up of every kind of person. And that through the teachings of Jesus, we see how we are to live and how to become who we are really meant to be. The character traits, the life habits, the moral commitments that are going to be required to live this new and different kind of life and how to live in humanity, to live in community together. Humanity fully alive. Jesus shows us how to be fully human. In verses 4 and 5, we see Jesus say that with His death coming soon, 
that he's finished his work and he's ready to return to his place in glory. Let's read verses 6 through 9. Jesus is still praying. I have revealed your name to the people you gave me from this world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. This is because I gave them the words that you gave me, and they received them. They truly understood that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you gave me, because they are yours. So now Jesus prays for his followers. Jesus has completed his mission of revealing God to a group from this world, but who are now different from this world. Do you know what that is? Do you know what that being different from this world is? Holiness. Holiness. That's what sets us apart. And in verse 9, Jesus is setting apart and praying for His disciples to be in mission to the world from which they were drawn. In the study Bible I bought for my wife, Rachel, it has this summary for this chapter. As Jesus sends us into the world, He knows we will face serious difficulties. So he prays for our protection. We are in his keeping. We can assume that anything Jesus prays for, God delivers. Therefore, we know that we are as close to Jesus and God as they are to each other. Jesus prayed for us to become perfectly one. It's not that we have to create unity. Jesus already did that through the cross and resurrection. We simply have to embrace it. I read in a history book that on the night before great battle, Napoleon's commanders would all go to his tent one by one. Apparently, it was this really strange lineup, this strange procession, because no one said a word as they stood in front of Napoleon. But each man looked into his eyes, shook his hand, turned, and walked out of that tent ready to lay down his life for his general. What kind of strength and confidence and courage He had to give them. And if they could find that kind of strength and confidence and courage from a man, how much more strength and confidence and courage and security can we have if we fix our eyes on Jesus? So that's our question. Are your eyes fixed on Jesus? 
Is he the author of your faith? Really? Truly? Now, that's not some theological or rhetorical question. It's a practical one. Is Jesus the author of your faith? Because if Jesus isn't the author of your faith, then you got the wrong book. As we read these verses of Jesus praying in the garden, we realize that Jesus knows what's about to happen. So how does he make it through? It certainly wasn't because of his friends. Because at this moment, when Jesus needs his friends, the disciples the most, when he begs them to stay awake and to keep watch and to pray with him, what do they do? They disappoint him. Jesus had to go and wake them and get them on their feet and get them moving before the soldiers came with their torches to arrest him. But during these terrible, dreadful hours of painful, agonized prayer, Jesus prepared himself by turning his face to heaven. What do you think he saw? What do you think Jesus saw? What did Jesus hear that gave him the strength to endure all the pain that was about to happen to him? Now, I may be completely wrong or I may be crazy, but I think possibly, possibly, we have the answer in Revelation chapter 4. Because in Revelation chapter 4, the author, John, describes a sight that no other human eye had ever seen. He describes the throne of God, blazing in rainbow colors. And he describes four living creatures who represent all created beings who stand on the sides of the throne. And also around the throne are 24 elders. And day and night, the living creatures sing, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And the elders reply, You are worthy to receive glory and honor and power. And they sing responsively, going back and forth. And they sing praises to God. And heaven resounds and echoes with their song. Maybe. Just maybe. That's what Jesus saw. Maybe that's what it means in the letter to the Hebrews when it says, For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. The joy of Jesus was incomplete. Pleading God's will. We can experience the joy set before us when we keep our hearts alive and moving towards God in worship. How does Paul say it in Ephesians? Be filled with the Spirit, 
speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when we do that, when our lives align with the heavenly chorus, our faith enables us to sing and shout with victory. You know, Paul faced hardship and ridicule and rejection. But he also gave us the secret of his ability to overcome these things. He wrote to Timothy, I am suffering, yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that He is able to guard what I have entrusted to Him until that day. And have you ever noticed what Hebrews 4.14 says? Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we possess. We may have doubts, and fears, and uncertainties, and questions. We may not have life or this faith thing all figured out. I certainly don't. And there are some things that we just don't know. But do you remember how John put it? Dear friend. Now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And how did Paul say it? In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, we will be changed. We may not know several things, but we know who we have believed. And we know that when this life ends, we'll be fully in the hands of the Lord God our Maker. And that is when we will know joy unspeakable. And we will know that God is for us. And that's when we will know and experience and feel and see and really Leave these lines. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No. Neither death nor life nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So no matter what challenges we face as we leave from here and as we walk out these doors, no matter what life throws at, we know that the final victory is ours because of Jesus.